Welcome back into the mental game where this week's guest is Cincinnati head coach Wes Miller. When you're not seeing those results, it's extremely challenging. It was a dark year in a lot of ways. And in this episode, Coach Miller opens up about his basketball career, going back to his playing days at North Carolina that has now led him into coaching where he's the head coach at the University of Cincinnati, now leading the Bearcats into the Big 12. We talk about basketball, mental health, both of them together as he tries to help his players both on and off the court. All of that and much, much more in this episode. But once again, if you're loving the mental game, please like, subscribe, rate, review, tell your family, tell your friends as we try to help as many people as possible with their mental health. But without further ado, it is now time for the latest edition of the mental game with Wes Miller. Welcome back into the mental game. As you can see, I have a very special guest here, University of Cincinnati men's basketball coach, Wes Miller. Coach Wes, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. We're here at the uh, home court of the Bearcats. You got your new Jordan branded uh, shirt on. We'll get into all that here in just a sec. Um, but first thing I ask everyone on the mental game is what does mental health mean to them? And people answer it in a variety of ways, whether it's something they were conscious of at an early age, or maybe there was something traumatic that, that happened to them that, that triggered them to be more cautious of it, or they work in a hard profession like coaching where you always have to be uh, on your game. But I'll ask you the same thing. What does mental health mean to you? Yeah, it's probably something that's evolved over time. Um, but as a coach, when you work with young people every day, yeah. and especially as a head coach where you oversee a staff, um, and you, you see the things people go through and you see how much more effective people are when they are in a good frame of mind, yeah. in a good mind space. Uh, it, it's evolved over time to something that I'm much more passionate about and cognizant of, even personally. Like I'm, yeah. I'm a better coach uh, when I'm in a good mental space, when I'm in a healthy mental space. Um, it, it's like... It's like the, the term physical health. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of applications. I'm sure that's why you get a lot of a variety of answers. Yeah. Um, it's something you have to work at every day, it's something you have to be aware of. I think in a leadership role, we have to make sure that the things that we're demanding of our student athletes, of our staff, that they're not creating problems that mm -hmm. will create mental health issues. We're actually uh, creating a healthy environment mentally i think we have to have resources sure when there are those inevitable issues that will happen mm -hmm. uh, in a high pressured environment that we're in i'm proud at cincinnati you know we have those resources uh in our department and we're continuing to to reinvest and double down in those resources so i could kind of keep going into it but it's like yeah. the same way you ask about do you care about your physical development as a player? What does that mean? Well, shoot, <laughs> there's a lot of things that go into that, yeah. how you train, how you eat. It's, it's the same thing mentally. So we do look at it holistically. Uh, we try to make sure we have the right environment, and we try to make sure we have the resources for when those inevitable issues pop up. Yeah, I mean, mental health, especially in sports, is, is more important now than ever. Uh, let's get into your background. I mean, you're a basketball guy through and through growing up in the Carolinas and dreaming, I'm sure, of, of what you did and playing at at UNC, but where did that love for basketball originate? I was really fortunate as a kid. I was exposed to it. Yeah. Um, my, my father and my parents grew up taking me to ACC basketball games, and at that time, you know, back in the, the 80s and 90s, yeah. 
you know, ACC basketball in the state of North Carolina. Crazy. It was a big deal. There, you know, there weren't the professional football. There weren't a lot of the things that go on there now. Yeah. I mean, that was the professional sports of that region was ACC basketball. And so I actually grew up a Wake Forest fan because my dad was a Wake Forest graduate. So from the time I can remember, I was going to Wake Forest basketball games and going to the ACC tournament. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with college basketball following ACC basketball in that region, in that time frame. Mm -hmm. And then it, it really kind of evolved from there. When you decided to, that you wanted to play basketball, obviously you're playing throughout high school, you get to college, um, and getting the chance to play at a place like UNC, what was that? I know you grew up a Wake Forest fan. Well, it had to be a dream come true to play for a coach like Roy Williams and get a play at the Smith Center and like just do everything that, that you watched growing up, these guys that I'm sure you idolized playing in the ACC. Yeah, I was a basketball junkie. Again, from yeah. the time I can walk probably and – you know, it really evolved over time. I mean, by the time I was in high school, I was a huge NBA fan. I mean, mm-hmm. like everybody in my generation, I was the biggest Michael Jordan and Bulls yeah. fan. And I was a fan of all of college basketball. And, again, really fortunate. My parents would take me to the NCAA tournament and things of that nature. So I, I got exposed as I got older, even though it started, yeah. you know, probably locally as a, as a kid. But, yeah, I, I think uh, I always dreamed about playing on – you know the biggest stage certainly like all kids playing in the nba but right certainly playing college basketball on the biggest stage and to to play at north carolina you know uh what was it was a dream come true in a lot of ways uh e- even though as a young kid i was pulling against them <laughs> you know because because of my dad you know my dad being an alumnus to wake forest when you get to uh unc obviously they're coming out of of the jordan era and winning championships and just it's one of the what top five programs in college basketball history to get to wear that jersey and play. You played three years there? Played four years. Four so years I there? Trans- um, transferred in. I, I was a freshman at James Madison as a scholarship player. Yeah. Uh, transferred after my freshman year um, and ended up at Carolina where I, I was on the team but had to sit out of the games. That was the old transfer rules. Right. So I had to sit out uh, the games for a year, but I was there playing for Coach Williams for four seasons. And him obviously being the great coach that he is, I think that probably sparked your interest in coaching maybe, uh, learning under him, playing for him. Yeah, as you mentioned, certainly playing. like It's like playing at Cincinnati, right? Yeah. You're playing at one of the great programs in the history of our game, which was uh, undescribable in a lot of ways for somebody that, that grew up idolizing college basketball. Um, and then more importantly, you know, playing – for a guy like Roy Williams, I knew I, w- I wanted to coach at a really young age. Okay. I'm not sure I understood what that meant at the right. time, but uh, always knew I wanted to play. I, I, I still miss playing. I, yeah. I loved playing basketball. Well, I've seen you at the kids' camps putting up some shots. Yeah. So that's what <laughs> I'm good with ten year olds, but uh, <laughs> but I, I knew that I wanted to coach. I've always had a crazy passion for our game, and one of the main reasons that I transferred to Carolina was to to be around one of the greatest uh, coaches to ever coach our game. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I could go, I could do a whole podcast on being around Roy Williams and what I've learned playing from what I've learned from him, Yeah, you know, having a, a strong relationship with him since I played there. Uh, but that was a, that was, that was a, a blessing as I got into coaching for sure. It's interesting to me how you talk about, you knew at such an early age, when do you think you knew you wanted to be a coach? 
I think if you asked me at eight years old, really, like, what do you okay. know? Like the old yeah. question of what you, what do you want to do? And right. most kids would say, I want to be an astronaut or something. I, yeah. I, I wanted to be a, an NBA basketball player. And when I was done playing, I wanted to coach. I mean, I thought I had my life figured out. Yeah. Uh, now again, I, I don't know if I understood what coaching was till I got into coaching right. for a couple of years. But I think from a young age, that was my dream was to play the game and then coach the game. Yeah. And to have that, like have that mindset of wanting to go learn under coach Williams. I mean, that takes a lot of uh, smarts. It takes a lot of knowledge, a lot of ambition to know, obviously we want to live the dream of playing at Carolina, but learning under a guy like him and just being able to, at an early age, see what success is like at that level, that had to set you up for your career of just setting the standard of how you should coach, right? Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it sounds great now. I mean, at the time, <laughs> I, I wanted to play, you know, I, right. I, and I was concerned to go in there without a scholarship. After being a Division One scholarship mm-hmm. player, I was concerned that I, it, the playing was on the top of my brain in those days. Right. Uh, they had Raymond Felton at the time at my position, who ended up being the fifth pick in the NBA draft mm-hmm. in 2005. You know, I, you know it was going to be difficult yeah. uh, to play at Carolina for somebody like me. Um, so it wasn't that easy of a decision, it, although it may sound that way now. I, I remember sitting in Coach Williams' office when I was going through the transfer process, and he looked at looked at me and looked at my father and, and said, "What do you What do you want to do when you're done?" And I said, "I want to coach." He said, "Well, you have to come here." And I, that was his big recruiting pitch. That mm-hmm. it wasn't just a four year decision; it was yeah. a decision that would impact the rest of my life. And I didn't come to it right away but yeah. with some help from my father <laughs> I kind of saw the light and, and again it was is one of those things that I, I don't know if I understood it all at the time but right. it, it's a decision that changed my life in a lot of ways in college when you're wanting to, to play you know chomping at the bit to get on the court at a blue blood program and you're not how does that affect your mental health did you go through so, some darker days or depression or just put your head down keep working no, it was, uh, you know, on a personal level, it was very difficult, um, you know, and I, and I always felt like I had perspective, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, been really fortunate to have great parents, great yeah. coaches in my life um, around me, but when I wasn't playing, I think I redshirted uh, my first year there. My second year, 0405, I, t- I tell this to every team that I coach, we, we won the national championship at the end of that year, which mm-hmm. was another event that... Uh, changed my life and I was a part of that and it's impacted me ever since but it was a very difficult year maybe by far the most difficult year of my college career till the end yeah (laughs) right um because I wasn't playing and I and I desperately wanted to play and I like a lot of student athletes was putting everything I thought I could put into trying to to be the best player I could and earn playing time yeah and when you're not seeing those results, it's extremely challenging. It was a dark year in yeah. a lot of ways. Uh, but fast forward to the national championship where you are part of something that's just so much bigger than you. Those are aha moments where you right. go, okay, it was worth it. Um, or the following year when I was fortunate to start on a top 10 team. Mm-hmm. Those things never happen personally if I didn't go through those difficult times and figure yeah. out how to work through them. So um, I, I value those difficult times, mm-hmm. but that was, you know, ironically, even though the ending is one of those great Story moments, book, yeah. uh, that was one of the, the most difficult moments in my, my playing career for sure. Working through those moments as a, how old were you, 19, 20 years old, working through those moments, um, 
what did you learn about yourself and what what were some of those things that helped you get through the dark days because a lot of kids could be like all right especially with the way it is now just transfer get the hell out of town but to put your head down work through it um but also make sure that you're emotionally mentally good what did you do to kind of help your mental health through that time yeah well it's 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 one of the great things about college athletics or high level athletics Mm -hmm. is it teaches you lessons that'll help you for the rest of your life yeah again i you know this is years and years ago now but um First, I was really fortunate to have people around me that supported me. I mean, I remember our strength coach, Jonas Serration, I was so mad every time I didn't play. And I I was conscious not to make that a problem within the locker room. Right. But I was so frustrated if I didn't play or I got a chance to play and didn't play well. Uh, He he noticed that and Mm -hmm. knew I was struggling and we'd go lift after the game. And, you know, I'd I'd take out that frustration. Yeah. off of working yeah. and trying to do something to get better and improve. Um, you know, I, I had people that, that knew how bad I wanted it and would help pull me back into the gym and continue to work. And so I, one of the lessons, it sounds very simple, but one of the lessons that I take now that I learned then is, you know, it, it doesn't always happen when you want. Right. It doesn't always feel good when it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But you just kind of keep going. You yeah. keep showing up. You keep working. Whatever your cliche terminology is, you keep yeah. pounding that rock till it eventually breaks. Um, that that's one of those very simple but important life lessons that mm-hmm. that as I've gotten into coaching or gotten into my adult life, I can draw on that I learned as, as a student athlete. You mentioned the dream of playing in the NBA, getting there, coaching afterwards. the uh, The coaching journey happened a little sooner, probably than you anticipated. But walk me through twenty eight years old. You're already on the staff at UNC Greensboro as an assistant, but getting the opportunity to be the head coach of a college basketball program at 28, I can't even, like, I'm 29 now, about to be 30. I can't imagine doing that two years ago. <laughs> what was that moment like for you getting that job? I was just really fortunate. Yeah. Um, you know, at the time, it was difficult. We, we started the year poorly. I was an assistant coach at UNCG working for a, a great coach mm-hmm. in Mike DeMint. Yeah. Um, and we had an incredibly, it's a long story, we had an incredibly difficult non-conference schedule. So if yeah. anybody ever wants to Google that and look at our <laughs> you non-conference. You want to book that here for Cincinnati? Oh, man, it was, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was incredibly difficult, and there's a long history of why that was the case. But, yeah. um, you know, we played like seven or eight BCS games, uh, you know, to start the year, and it a a mid-major program that was trying to build at that time that was just incredibly challenging so we started the year poorly and the 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 administration made a change and they they kind of let me be the interim coach at 28 years old to finish the year yeah um and we didn't do great finishing that non-conference slate Mm -hmm. uh but once we got into league we won a couple games and we ended up winning 10 of 11 oh wow kind of caught lightning in a bottle yeah uh and you know won the north division of the southern conference at that time and i found myself uh as a head coach and the youngest division one head coach in the country so another example you know sometimes the most difficult times yeah uh lead to some of the great times, right? Sure. That we don't always understand it when we're going through it. Uh, but, you know, we, we were really struggling there. I got an opportunity. Uh, I had a bunch of kids that made the most of that, and we, we won a bunch of one or two possession games. I, yeah. I say now, at the time, I probably felt like I knew what I was doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, we got really lucky <laughs> and won a bunch of games. So I was really fortunate to be a, 
uh, a Division One head coach at a really young age. You spent 10 years at UNC Greensboro. The ups and downs of, of being a young coach, figuring yourself out, figuring out how to lead a young group of men. Uh, what was that process like? Because you just said it. You thought you knew everything then or knew what was best, but you're 28, 29 in your first head coaching job. Walk me through that journey because it had to be kind of crazy, surreal, but also obviously inspiring to yourself to be able to have that job title, but also learning how to manage a team, manage a season. You've watched it through great coaches like Coach Williams, the coach you had there at UNC Greensboro that you were an assistant for, but it had to be a learning process along the way. Well, it's still a learning process. Like, yeah. Let's let's hope that never stops, right? right. And, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, again, I found myself in this interim role at a very young age, and we we kind of caught lightning in a bottle and made a run and had some success. Um, and what I found when I, I got the job full-time is that, you know, figuring out how to make a run, even though that, that has value. We did some great things. That team will always be in a special place mm-hmm. in my heart. Uh, that's something, but building something that's sustainable year after year, that's yeah. something very, very different. And, uh, you know, again, managing a team for the second half of a season is something, but running a program mm-hmm. is something very different. And that was humbling, you know, my yeah. first two or three years as a head coach. Uh, probably thought I had it figured out, looking back on it in some ways, um, and, and you realize really quickly that you don't. And I think the biggest difference between uh, myself as a leader now and then is I, I know now that I don't have it figured out, but I'm just working <laughs> to try to figure it out every day. Yeah. You know, I, th- you're, you're always evolving. We're mm-hmm. always becoming. We're always trying to learn and grow. And I think um, once I learned and accepted that, I became a much more humble leader and um, you know, we, we've we've been able to solve problems and continue to grow and build on our identity. But those first two or three years were very difficult. And throughout then, obviously, you guys won a lot of games at UNCG and you had success where that gets your name thrown in to different jobs and you get into the spotlight in the coaching search world. Uh, a place like Cincinnati gives you a ring three years ago now. What do you remember about two, two and two, some two, change? Two and yeah. some change. What, what, uh, what do you remember about getting the call from UC? You know, I, it, it's it's really interesting as we started to have, you know, I think we had five straight, you know, 25-plus win seasons, mm-hmm. um, you know, went to five straight postseasons, what it would have been if it wasn't for the COVID, yeah. the, the COVID year, right, where we were in the NIT or NCAA tournament, which, it, again, and, and that was unprecedented at, at UNCG, and mm-hmm. that was that was a special thing coming from that, that level in that league. Right. But um, as we're going through that, you, you do get phone calls. And, and jobs do come up. I I never once woke up at UNCG and thought about another job. You know, uh, to me, we were going to win a national championship there. That was the idea to keep building and keep growing. And mm-hmm. I had great leadership there, a athletic director, you know, yeah. two different chancellors that were really supportive. Um, but always in the back of your mind, you go, hey, if I am going to leave, I, I'm leave something really good. I had something really good. Uh, I'm going to leave – for something that's truly unique and special. Mm-hmm. And there's only a handful of programs in college basketball that I feel that way about. Right. Uh, when Cincinnati called, that that was one of them. Yeah. And you just think about uh, the history and tradition here. And I was so aware of the history and tradition over the last 30 years in my lifetime because I grew up watching Coach Huggins' teams here. Yep. You know, I was playing and coaching, you know, during Coach Cronin's teams and really had a high level of respect for them. So – I had an idea of 
of what Cincinnati basketball has been about for 30 years. What, what, as you look into it, it's even more, you know, amazing is how this program's been for 70 years. Right. When when you go back to national championships in the 60s and, you know, Oscar Robertson and, and, you know, there's so much to get into. You know, this is one of the great programs in the history of our game. And so this was one of those phone calls that, that makes you – uh, it gives you that knee-jerk reaction yeah. and, and makes you want to learn more and was one of the, the only places that I ever got a call from that, that I was really excited about and considered leaving UNCG for. Well, being a Cincinnati guy myself, obviously rocking the old UC stuff, uh, I was so hyped that you know, we've got a head coach that, that's passionate about basketball, passionate about the history here in Cincinnati because I grew up in the Coach Huggins era. I mentioned one of your former assistants, DeMar Johnson. I'm pretty good friends with him. But just like watching Melvin Levitt, Kenyon Martin, those guys, the Jordan Brand jerseys, and just the games on national TV every week, it was crazy watching that era of Cincinnati basketball. And so I imagine you having the sense watching and then playing against those teams of what they were, like you were just ready, to, chomping at the bit to get into this role. Yeah, and I, I, honestly, that I'd never been in the city of Cincinnati. Um, I never didn't know a lot about the University of Cincinnati, mm-hmm. by the way, but both have blown me away. The community here, um, the, this this town, I don't call it a town, I mean a city, yeah. this is a this is a big town. Yeah, no, I agree with <laughs> uh, you on that. You know, but uh, this university, it's amazing some of the things that we're doing here. I didn't know any of that, but I knew what Cincinnati basketball meant in between those lines down there. Yeah. And I felt like the 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 basic values of what this program has been about I resonate with those mm-hmm. uh, our teams uh, over the years have resonated with those similar values so I felt like there was a real fit there um, but but make no mistake about it I mean when you grow up watching something we talked about my childhood I mean yeah. uh, I, I always say this publicly people probably get tired of hearing it but in those days, I mean, the East Bay Magazine was where you got all the cool gear. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and that's true. I'm still guilty of liking shoes and, and maybe gear a little too much. But yeah. uh, I, I ordered like two or three shorts out of the East Bay Magazine that were like the most prized possessions of my childhood. And one of them were Cincinnati Bearcats Jordan shorts. So mm. going back to Jordan, um, that's that was a really neat deal for me. It, yeah. it, it, it's, you know, listen, this has been a cool, relevant program. It's been a culturally relevant program mm-hmm. in my lifetime. You know, we want to get back to being culturally relevant. Certainly what's most important is that you, you play the right way on the court, mm-hmm. that you, you play with great effort, you play with great pride, that nothing else matters more than that. But So we got to do that first. But some of these other things, like getting back uh, uh, to, the, to the right alignment with Jordan Brand and other things, we got to get back to being culturally relevant nationally. Yeah. And I think people here at Cincinnati understand that. No doubt about it. And Coach Huggins and those teams in the late 90s, early 2000s, rocking the Jordan Brand logo on the Cincinnati jerseys. I collect those jerseys, so I have four or five of them hanging up in my living room. And I know fans are so hyped to be back with Jordan. So I'm going to get into that now because you just brought it up. Uh, what was that process like? Because you see, I think, you mentioned like the cultural, I don't know, maybe movement takeover that Jordan just brings a different spark to Cincinnati basketball because I think there's so much winning and grit and, and, and tradition surrounding that prog- or this program during that time period. Was that such a big priority for you, even having that background of buying Jordan shorts in the East Bay magazine? Yeah, you know, I, when I think about when I think about Cincinnati basketball, I think about a certain edge, right? A, a certain toughness, 
a, a chip yeah. on your shoulder. And that that's not just those teams in the 90s and early 2000s. I thought Coach Cronin's teams exemplified sure. that. Yeah. Right. I, when I think about Cincinnati basketball, those are the things that, that pop up. And as you live in this community, you see why it represents this city so well. Yeah. Um, when I think about Jordan Brand, you know, the first thing I think about is Michael Jordan. And is that, the, in my eyes, the greatest competitor mm-hmm. in my lifetime in any sport, in any arena? Yep. And so uh, there's just some really natural alignment there. And it was so neat that that's one of, you know, we're an original Jordan brand school when they started working with college basketball, yep. that it wasn't just the alignment with the colorway, which is also another yeah. cool thing. <laughs> um, there's there's real natural alignment with that competitive edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, one of the reasons I came here is because I felt alignment with that personally and as a coach and the teams that I coached resonated with some of the same things. So, I again, I think – the the neat thing is is not just that yeah Jordan's cool and we're wearing Jordan is right. there's there's real relevance and mm-hmm. alignment on a fundamental level and that excites me more yeah uh, than just wearing a, a cool pair of gear well certainly that going to the Big Twelve having Jordan Brand back on board is gonna help recruiting and gonna help you build this program um, like you've been doing these last couple of years but walk me through those first two seasons here in Cincinnati. Uh, obviously, like any coaching change, you're going to have um, so some ups and downs along the way, whether it's transfer portal or getting your roster together, recruiting. What did you learn about yourself those first two years here in Cincinnati? How much time you got? Uh, we, I got about <laughs> 70 more minutes on the memory card. So, <laughs> no, I, you know, again, I, I think I, I just one of the things we're always preaching to our players is every day is about growth. Like yeah. every day is about improving every day is about learning um so you, we got to practice what we preach as coaches as yeah. teachers I, i'm learning every day and, and certainly when you step into a new role mm-hmm. at a new place at a new level man you're <laughs> different yeah you, you know you, you're you get out of your comfort zone a little bit i mean i spent the majority of my life in north carolina you know moving to a new area like in so many ways you know, taking this job. There's three players on the roster when I get here. Yeah. You know, you're 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 coming in on the on the heels of some controversy. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like the program wasn't in a great spot the day we walk in the door. In so many ways, like this was stepping way out of my comfort zone. Right. We had built something that was really sustainable at, at, at Greensboro. So I left something really sustainable that, in some ways, was very comfortable mm-hmm. uh, to something that was. We needed to get back to the right place yeah. and was truly uncomfortable in an uncomfortable area. You grow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're going to grow. You're you forced no choice. to you grow. Have to, yeah. and, and isn't that what it's all about? Right. right? And so, yeah, I've, I've grown in so many ways. I, I, uh, you know, being in the American the last two years, you know, coaching against Kelvin Sampson mm-hmm. three times a year. We, yeah. We, play, we faced them three times the last two years. And they've been one of the, the top two or three teams in America. And, and going down the list, the, the great coaches in that league, um, trying to take a new roster that was formed that felt like overnight and right. figure out how to manage that roster and figure out the right style of play without losing our identity. Like yeah. we, we've grown a lot of ways there. Um, learning how to manage a much bigger staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, learning how to lead when you're uh, up leading a much bigger, bigger program with a lot more eyes i mean like i could just kind of keep going yeah. on and on and on and we could get into each aspect of it but i'm growing here every day and uh I, i'm I, hopefully 
not just me. We are embracing that process, and we'll, and we'll keep getting better for it. I've been around the UC program for a long time and seen coaches come through and talk to different assistants, players, and I've got a really good sense from, from them that are here now that you care a lot about your players, make time for a lot of one-on-one time. And I think of the mental health side of thing in the day and age we live in where players have everything on their phone, they're getting mean tweets or people yelling stuff at them in the stands, or they're thinking about transferring with how easy it is to transfer, which can be good and bad depending on how you look at it. Uh, why did you make it, or have you made it such a big priority to focus on each individual player and their, their mental health and how they feel each and every day here in the gym? You know, I'm passionate about basketball. Um, I, I mean, I just love the game, always have. Yeah. I, I love the high stakes and the competitive spirit. Mm-hmm. I, that, that keeps me alive every day. Yeah. But the thing that I've found the longer that I coach – that makes my life feel meaningful is working with young people. And it mm-hmm. sounds a little corny or cliche, no, yeah. but you know, we all get to that point in life where you go, Hey, you know, it's, it's what I do matter. And, yeah. um, you know, working with young people is the thing that feels good <laughs> all yeah. the time. I, I, I love being around. They make me feel young. Uh, we have terrific young people in our program right mm-hmm. now. The age that we work with them, is just so unique you know yeah. they they come in and like our freshmen right now jizzle james and rayvon griffith like they're they're still kids yeah and they'd yeah, hate they they'd hate it if they <laughs> listen to this for me to say that but they're still kids yeah. and then you look at them two years later and they start to become young men and we get that process over and over again mm-hmm. as coaches like that is so neat so it, it is one of the most passionate things in my life is working with them day to day but to get back to your question you know like they're meant to, i the the pressures that they have on them now mm-hmm. as college basketball players at a place like this is just so much different than what I had as playing at North Carolina yeah. because of the phones. Right, yeah, it changes <laughs> I mean, everything. I can't imagine, you know. I mean, yeah. uh, it's human nature to want to uh, – to want to to hear what people say about you. I mean, we were all like that, right? I, yeah, I'm. I'm 40 years old, and I, it's easy for me to not check social media during the season. Yeah, but it, it, you know, at 19 or 20, no, if that's... if if I could search my name on Twitter, I can't imagine not doing it. Yeah, and you know, when you're in a a place like this where there's eyes on you, there's going to be all kinds of different views and opinions. That's truly difficult. Mm-hmm. And then the cameras and the, I mean, it, the things they deal with that sometimes we don't give them credit for. They're right. They're more mature than we are or yeah. than we were at that yeah. age. Uh, they're actually more emotionally prepared. They're mm-hmm. more socially aware um, than we were at that age. And so it's really important that we put into perspective what they're dealing with and we, and we make sure that we're sensitive to it. Yeah. Do you keep in mind just everything you just mentioned, the, the phones, the pressures, the things that, you know, I'm 30, but I didn't have, I think like Twitter came out when I was in high school and I obviously wasn't like a high performing athlete. So I didn't have the people uh, saying mean stuff at me. I guess when I was a sports reporter, I would get emails and things like that um, and tweets. But how do you make sure that, like, do you preach that to them throughout throughout the off season of, or what kind of do you guys do to help them with their mental health and keep things in perspective that um, get them engaged mentally and make sure that they don't go to a dark spot when they get a mean tweet or when they get benched or, or they're not getting the playing time like you were talking about earlier in your career. What kind of steps do you guys have in place to make sure they're okay in those moments? A lot of steps. Yeah. And it's not just one area. You know, the, the first thing for me, it always starts with real relationships, right? So mm-hmm. uh, myself, our staff, 
we, we're going to be highly invested in building real genuine rela- relationships with our players. Yeah. And when you have that real relationship and those real touches and interactions every day, those are all chances to teach and coach. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I give our staff a ton of credit. Uh, we, we are spending real time with our guys every day. And, yeah. you know, that's an opportunity to coach everything, everything in life. But certainly an opportunity to touch on their mental health or how they deal with the stresses and pressures of, mm-hmm. of playing at UC, whether it's yeah. social media or otherwise. Um, we bring in, you know, people to do media training. And yeah. kind of put that in perspective, right? We we give perspective when we stand in front of the team. And I, I say to my, my team every year, I know they'll never listen to this, but that when when we start playing games, I will not check Twitter till the end of the season. And I explain why. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I explain why I do that because we do have control of what we allow into our brains. Yeah. Um, now, do I think that they're ever going to listen to that and, and do that? No, but it gives perspective on – why they shouldn't always listen to everything that they read or somebody types behind a screen. So I, there's a lot of other things we do, but yeah, we do try to hit it every way that we right. can just to create perspective and to, to acknowledge what's going on around them. Joe Burrow uh, deletes his Twitter during season two, so you're in good company uh, hey, with if that. I, if, I, if I keep you know getting mentioned in the same breath as Joe Burrow in any way, that's a good thing. So. Well, he's got some style points with him too. So I mean, that's that's two two areas I think yeah. you're rolling there. Uh, two questions left for you. Uh, just the goal here at Cincinnati um, with you now going into year three and beyond. Um, walk me through what the goals are for you personally and this team as you enter a new era with the Bearcats in the Big 12 now. Yeah, you know, the the goal is to keep growing every day. Um, this is a program that belongs on the national stage that's mm-hmm. competing for conference championships, that's competing for NCAA tournament championships. Um Every day, it's about taking a step in that direction. Yeah. Um, so that's the goal: is today to take another step to improve, and then wake up tomorrow and take another step to improve, and to get this program back on the national map. Uh, this team has that opportunity. Um, we're not going to get obsessed every single second with where we are. We're going to get obsessed with what we're doing to get there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the goal for our program: is to to take more steps daily, so we can get back <coughs> in the. <coughs> back to where this program belongs last thing i'll ask you and it's what i end every podcast episode with advice to a young hungry uh assistant coach someone that wants to be in your shoes follow your footsteps one day yeah it'd be the same advice i'd give to our players um number one i'd consume myself with what i'm doing to get better myself yeah uh what are you doing every day to to improve We, we one thing we say is we work yeah, and it sounds cliche, but we work. Like, are you working? You know, at at at, at a level. Yeah. To send in our profession, which is a a very demanding profession. The second thing is, be a master in your role. Yeah. Right. I, I say this to our staff all the time that, you know, you you can't always say, well, when I get to that next role, I'm gonna be great. You need to be great in the role that you're in mm-hmm. before you get to that next role. So those are the two things. The third thing, I'd say stick with it. Yeah. You know, like I, I could give we, – we got a little bit into some of my background, but some of the lowest times that I had as a player were the reason and what, what happened during those times were the reason that I found some of the greatest times that I had yeah. as a player. Some of the lowest moments I've had as a coach, you know, cultivated change – 
or made me dig in and find something different that I didn't know was there that yeah. led to some of the greatest moments I've had as a coach. So sometimes don't, you don't get discouraged. Stay yeah. at it and, and, and keep trying to figure out what you have to do to grow and evolve. Well, Wes, I can't thank you enough. I can tell you're passionate, obviously, about basketball coaching and the Cincinnati program. They're in good hands. So, Wes, thank you so much, yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. For sure. And we'll see everybody back here next week on The Mental Game. And that was an amazing conversation with Coach Miller. I can't thank him enough for coming on The Mental Game and really opening up about his basketball career and mental health as the Bearcats get ready to kick off their first season here in the Big 12. It'll be exciting here in Cincinnati and for UC fans like myself. Next week, another exciting and surprise guest right back here on The Mental Game. I'll give you two hints. One, they are from West Virginia, and two, they are a country music artist. Those are your two hints, and we'll see everybody back here next week on The Mental Game.